Well, let's get us a songbook out. And let's stand together. Turn to 451. 451. The old account was settled. Right. Oh, Anya. 
Anya's dealing with bronchitis. Yeah, that's who it was. Yes, we'll lift her up in prayer as well. I'm sure Dan he's probably have problems with something, blood or something. But but uh, but anyway, uh, I don't know who all else, but I know there are other, other church members got issues. I come Robert Joanne right there. But let's lift them up in prayer as well. Um, remember all our missionaries in prayer and uh, pray for. Uh, let's see, pray for us. We got a wedding to do Saturday and. So my my regular week has been very compacted and uh, been kind of trying, but we're going to make it through it. But just probably we'll get everything done and still able to function right for Sunday. And that's my my prayer. So anyway, <clears throat> y'all got any prayer requests? Yeah. I mentioned you already, so. All right. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Let's ask God to meet with us in prayer. Richard, lead us Father, I just pray that, uh, Father, you'll just permeate this building with your presence. And Father, we just uh, we just lift these uh, prayer requests up to you very socially, Father. Father, even now, Lord, we uh, we listen to you while we know what they are, and we just uh, we just lift them up to you very socially, Father. Those who are traveling, those who are health issues, things things of that sort, Father. You know what they are, and Father, we just trust you. You know that your your sovereign will is. Is perfect, Father. Uh, Father, just uh, be with us tonight, Father. Bless this time and uh, give us open hearts and help us to be receptive to your word, Father. Amen. You be seated. Yeah, I guess so. All right. Well, we'll turn over to, I'll put my guitar up while you come, and we'll turn to number 48, The Blood to Stain the Old Rugged Cross. Number 48, I got your list up there on the piano. <coughs> number 48. All right. Amen. I'm glad y'all here tonight. Amen. Let me pray for those who didn't come. Amen. They could have been here. I don't know where they're at tonight, but you know what? God knows. And we're going to pray for them. Pray for them that won't be here next Wednesday night. Uh, On the cross of Calvary. The blessed Savior died, gave his life to save the world from loss. In his pain and agony, for every sin to hide, shed his blood to save the old rugged cross. Was his blood, his precious blood, that saved the old rugged cross was his love that paid the awful cost. Old souls so far astray, come and come today in the blood that saved the old rugged cross. To the cross, the rugged cross, they nailed his precious hands. And in death he fully paid the cost. And the world was lost in sin can now be wholly free by the blood that stained the old rugged cross. Was his blood, its precious blood, that stained the old rugged cross. Was his love that paid the awful cost. Old souls so far astray, come and one today in the 
blood that stained the old rugged cross. Amen. Y'all need to pray my voice. It sounds like it's about to leave. 75, number 75, in the sweet by and by, we'll meet on that beautiful shore. Amen. There's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar, for the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there in the sweet by and by. We shall meet on that beautiful shore in the sweet by and by. We shall meet on that beautiful shore. We shall sing on that beautiful shore. The melodious songs of the blessed and the spirits of sorrow no more. God is
Amen. Praise the Lord. And I am, and I know you are too. If we're making it at all, we are. Amen. Miss Shirley, I'm going to tell you, I, was a, I, I had to come over here and go to the bank today, and, and I had Savannah with me in the back seat, and we were singing, Oh, How I Love Jesus. And she says, I heard her, she didn't say it clear, but it says, Something to Miss Shirley in Sunday school. I said, Yeah. Miss Shirley taught you that in Sunday school. I said, Isn't that something? I said, You know, Jesus loves me, which tells you that he loves you. And now you're singing, Oh, how I love Jesus, singing about how you love him back. I said, Isn't that something? She just thought that was something else. Amen. Praise God. You can't ever teach kids too young to love the Lord Jesus. Amen. For the world tries to teach them not to. Because it sure will. Take your Bible with turn with me to Proverbs. Proverbs. Well, the devil don't want us to know how good God is. Well, if he ever get, if we ever get a hold of it, it changes forever. And never be the same again. <clears throat> Sometimes we forget about how good he is, and if we ever get our head back around it, it changes all over again. I tell you, that's one thing about it. it it's it's a truth that won't ever stop changing you. The more you focus on it, the more it will change you. Proverbs 15 tonight. Proverbs 15, we're going to look at verses 7 through 13. If the Lord allows us to, if we get that far, maybe we won't, but maybe we will. But we'll just try our best and see what we do. But Proverbs chapter 15, verse 7 through 13. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer tonight and ask him to meet with us and ask him to open the word of God and our understanding to it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I love you so much. I thank you for tonight. Thank you, Lord, for these that have come to the house of the Lord. And, Lord, for those who are tuning in, watching us wherever they may be, Lord, I pray you bless them as well. Father, I pray, Lord, for our church. I pray, Lord, for our attendance. I pray, Lord, for Lord for our, our giving, Lord, and all the facets of this church, Lord, everything that we're lacking in, the things that we're needing most, Lord. I pray, Father, for you to lift us up and help us, Lord. We need you now. We pray, Father, for you. Holy Spirit, to meet with us tonight and stir in our midst and work in our hearts and open our understanding and teach us the things that you'd have us to know, the things of God, the things that this world doesn't, doesn't, uh, amen, the things that this world doesn't believe in, the things that this world has said is foolishness, we know is wisdom and truth. And, Lord God, we pray tonight that you'd embed these things in us. Lord, uh, sink it into our, in our, into our being, Lord, that we might carry these truths with us daily. Father, that we not be deceived and led astray by the tempter. Father, we just pray tonight, Holy Ghost, that you'll give us unction to preach and to teach. And, Lord, you give folks unction to receive it. Lord, we know that it can be done because if you do it, it will it will sink down into our hearts and stay. And, Father, we pray for that. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. We ask it for his sake, his honor, and his glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Beginning there in verse 7. Chapter 15, the Bible says, The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the foolish doeth not so. The man who's wise, of course we know when we, I know we're just going into this cold tonight. We've been we've been in this for months and months and months and months. But it occurs to me, somebody might be watching tonight, ain't never watched our church before, ain't never been in the book of Proverbs in their life. And just for their sake, if there's just one person out there, I want them to know that the person that's referring to as wise is the one who knows the Lord. Amen? It's not just somebody who has the wisdom of this world because I, they might say, well, that means a Harvard professor. The Harvard professors disperse in knowledge. There's plenty of Harvard professors that, that don't know enough knowledge to find their way out of a wet paper sack. Uh, there's plenty of people who call themselves wise in this world who, who, I mean, if brains was gasoline, they couldn't get their tricycle around a Cheerio. I mean, they, they ain't got a lot of wisdom as far as God's concerned. Uh, you know, but, but what God calls wisdom is, is learned from the Word of God. It, it's, it's, the, it's the eternal wisdom of God, the, the mind of, of an eternal God who lives forever, a man who's imparted it to us through his Word. Uh, and he says, the lips of the wise disperse knowledge. Disperse knowledge. The wise man or the wise woman, they're going to they're gonna spread wisdom and knowledge. I, I, used to, I remember when I was a kid, and I guess I still do it. I ain't lived in town so long. I, I, I ain't really experienced this. But when I was a kid, I remember 
uh, late on the summer evenings, that green truck could come easing down the street, and that fog was falling behind it. They were spraying for mosquitoes. Y'all remember that, right up down the street. And when you was a kid, you so stupid, you try to get out there the road and smell it. Remember? <laughs> I remember that. You remember doing that? I guess you probably did the same thing. Well, we, you know, you're under, like like his mimeograph paper in school, you know. I mean, this witness. They still do it, okay? Yeah, well, I, I figured they did, but I, I hadn't lived in town a long time, so. But anyway, you know that that dispersing. What I'm trying to get it down to is, is it's spraying and it's going everywhere, right? The wind's carrying it everywhere it goes and blowing into the trees and the groves and the in the swampy areas and getting rid of mosquitoes. Well, you know the the wise, the lips of the wise dispersing. Now I kind of look at it the same way. Everywhere, if you got God in you. If you're studying with God, if you're letting God feed you daily, if you're letting him feed you, if you're letting, if you're letting him fill your heart with his truth and mercy and righteousness and goodness, everywhere you go, it's going to ease out of you. You can't help it. It's, you, you're going to be so full of God's presence that everywhere you go, you're going to find a reason to drop some goodness on somebody. It just happens. I, I, I mean, I, listen, I, I know how I am when I'm walking with God versus how I am when I'm walking with me. I mean, it's, I, I, listen, when I got something good, I want to share it, right? You know what I'm saying? When you got something good, you want to let other people in on it, amen? And and that's the way somebody is that's, that's close to God is their lips disperse knowledge, uh, you know, and wisdom. And, you know, it, uh, the Bible says the fruit of the righteous is the tree of life, and he that went of souls is wise. And that dispersing wisdom, that's, that's everywhere you go, and you're letting out the message of the gospel. You disperse some wisdom. Every time you share that with somebody, you know, <clears throat> I remember I remember Dr. Curtis Hudson telling years ago about a family came, a family in his church. He was in the grocery store and he run up on this he run up on this, this person he that somebody had been telling him he needed to witness to and well he cornered them up over there by the by the cornflakes and he was talking to them and, and trying to witness to them. I'm trying to share with them Jesus and and hoping they got saved, and he was, he was giving them everything he could and, and, and trying, to, trying to present it as clear as he could, and no matter what he did, they wouldn't hear it. They wouldn't listen, and they walked away, and he went out there discouraged. The next Sunday morning, he's down there he's down at the altar, and and he was dealing with, dealing with folks at the altar. He'd come down there for different things, and this one fellow came down there, and he and he he he, he asked him, he said, man, I, don't, I, come, I come to, hey, I want you on the church. He said, he said, what well, you, he, when did you get saved? He said, well, the other night. He said, where? He said, at the grocery store. He said, what? He said, when? And he told him, he said, well, I was there. He said, I know. He said, you was on the other aisle across from me. He said, and that guy said, he didn't want it. I said, well, I did. I did. He said, I bowed my head and trusted Christ right there on the other aisle. You never knew I was there. When you disperse knowledge, you don't ever know who's going to get it. Amen. Listen, you might be sharing it with somebody that ain't got no interest in it whatsoever. I remember one time, I remember one time in Shreveport, Louisiana, there's a little a little colored boy named Michael. He was 12 years old, I think, and uh, and I remember I remember witnessing him at his door, standing there at his door. I remember like it was yesterday, standing there talking to him, and I'm sharing the gospel with him. And I got done sharing the gospel with him. He bowed his head and trusted Christ right there in his door, and he stepped back out the door. And that door swung open, and his brother stepped out behind it. He said, I got saved, too. He was hiding behind the door the whole time. I'd have never known he was there if he had stepped out. But he said, I got it, too. Praise God. I got two for one. But, again, when you're dispersing it, man, you don't know who's going to get it. But you know what? Praise God. I, I thank God for, for, for the, the truth of the Word of God and what power God uses. I mean, the power that God puts into it and the power that it can inflict on somebody can change their life forever and, and turn them from from, uh, from a dead soul headed for hell to one who's alive and headed for eternal life. But the Bible says the heart of the foolish doeth not so. heart of the foolish ain't got nothing to give but stupidity. Uh, there ain't no wisdom in his heart. You can't, you know, it's like shaking the hip spray can and keep pushing that button. Ain't nothing coming out. I mean, I don't care how many times you shake it and rattle that ball. Ain't nothing coming out if ain't nothing in there. And there ain't no wisdom in a fool. So I don't mean whatever, how many times you press on his head or whatever you do to him, ain't no, he ain't going to get no wisdom because there's none in there. Uh, you know, they are unable to be a help to anybody with, through their words because they ain't got nothing in them, like I said, with stupidity. Uh, but there's a parallel between the lips and the tongue 
and the heart of a man or a woman. Uh, and, it, and it's found all through the Proverbs, and it shows Solomon's belief that the lips normally reveal what's going on inside of a person. Again, your lips will betray you. You can, keep, you can try to cover something up, but you know what? Eventually you'll let it slip. Your lips will betray you. What's in there is coming out. Again, I, I promise you, if I knock this cup cup over right here tonight, there, there won't be no Kool-Aid spill on the floor. Y'all know what's in that. That's coffee in that. That's all there in that. I, I live on it. It's my elixir. I love it. I can't help it. I, I'm OCD. I drink it all the time. But you know what? The doctor told me it's good for me, so that's to anybody that don't like that. So, But anyway, point is, that's what goes in here, and that's why that's what will come out of here. But in, in a fool, wisdom don't belong in a fool. There ain't no fool. There ain't no wisdom coming out. And uh, But since the wise are wise, when they speak, it's worth listening to. But, again, there's nothing inside a fool except stupidity. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, 2, it reminds us, it told us, the tongue of the wise uses, uses knowledge or right, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. Don't let him, don't get around a fool and get him started because that's all you're going to get is just a whole bunch of fool, a whole bunch of foolishness. And again, just to reiterate, but that's the main reason that I don't sit and watch the news because I don't like to fill my ears with foolishness. That's the main, hey, that's the main reason that I don't sit and watch anything that comes out of Hollywood. That's why I don't partake in stuff that come out of Disney World or, or Disneyland or Disney Company or any of that junk. I, I don't want to listen to stupidity of fools. And that's why I don't watch reality television or sitcoms and that garbage. I don't listen to fools. There's no point in listening to fools because fools just speak stupidity and make you dumber. But that's why a believer ought not ever be influenced by the world because the world's full of foolishness. And we need to be careful that we're not influenced by it. Verse 8. Verse 8. The sacrifice of the wicked. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But the prayer of the upright is his delight. Now, y'all know what an abomination is, right? That's something that makes God want to throw up. That's what it literally means. It makes God's stomach turn and makes him nauseated and want to vomit. Okay? So the sacrifice of the wicked. You got a picture in your mind. I picture whoever owns a liquor store down here in Avery coming down here and showing up at church, sitting on the back pew, offering time, coming down the aisle and putting a big pile of money in the offering plate. Sacrifice of the wicked. The Bible says the abomination of the Lord. The contrast in this chapter is between wicked people and, and virtuous people or righteous people. So what we're looking at here in this verse, it's not the sacrifice that God has an issue with. It's the sacrificer. It's the one bringing it. Uh, God isn't interested in any sacrifices that the wicked are going to offer to him. He could care less about that. You know, and I think it's a tragedy when churches try to get money. I, I think it's pitiful. I really do. I hate to say this, but I'm just going to say it anyway. I don't care if anybody hears this gets mad. They can just tough it out or come fight me. I don't care. Whatever you got to do. I'm not going to fight nobody. I'm just kidding. But, but, uh, but. There's a church over in Bogota got a coffee shop in their parking lot. That's making merchandise of the house of God, if you ask me. I've known many a Baptist bookstore in the church building making merchandise of the house of God. You know, again, I, I, I've seen a many a Pentecostal lady sitting up in front of a Walgreens or CBS selling their pecan brittle or their or their little snack breads trying to keep their church function alive. Listen, if you can't get it without without going to the world, you don't need it, evidently, because God, God's able to take God don't need to be on welfare charity. He don't. If God's people won't take care of it, we don't need it. That's as simple as that. Because, again, God, don't, God ain't going to be on welfare, and we shouldn't go to the world trying to finance the church. Um, I mean, it's just it, it's, it's terrible, but they do. They solicit funds from the public from wicked people trying to support God's house. And that's an abomination to the Lord, the Bible says. The sacrifice of the wicked. God don't need it, and he don't care for the sacrifice of the wicked. Because without godliness, religious ritual, such as sacrifice, that's an abomination to God. As Samuel said to Saul, 
behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And and God God God's not going to have God don't want it from anybody except His people. Um, but then in the second half of this verse it says the prayer of the upright is delight. The prayer of the upright, uh, upright, the godly man or the godly woman, it delights God when we talk to Him. Now. You, you notice the contrast there. <clears throat> a wicked man shows up with a suitcase full of cash to donate to the church. And yet there's one of God's children at the altar praying. And God says, I'd a whole lot rather have that man down there praying on his knees, bringing me his request, wanting something from me, than to have a man who don't love me at all bringing me gifts. See what I'm saying? So the prayer of the upright is his delight. The, the wicked man goes to all the trouble and all the expense of offering a sacrifice, going through all that trouble, and then don't please God at all. I mean, he's done twice the effort of the of the of the Christian man or the godly man who's praying, but the prayer of the upright pleases God. But I mean, that goes right along with the Bible, doesn't it? Hebrews eleven six it says, "But without faith, it's impossible to please Him." So what pleases God? He that cometh to God must believe that he is, such faith, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's faith and love in God. And and, and, and the wicked ain't got no part in that. So, again, it makes God sick. And we look at verse 9, and we see an abomination there, too. There's a lot of abominations in the Bible. A lot of things makes God sick. You know, American people, uh, uh, Christians, I say, not American people, but the, the church in America needs to brush up on the things that make God sick. Because if we would, if we made some changes, we might not have the judgment of God on our nation like we do. Uh, but you know what? People excuse abominations every day. They excuse it. They say, well, everybody else is doing it. I guess it's okay. No, it ain't okay. You better check with God. But he said in verse 9, the way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord. The way of the wicked, just the way they live, the way they conduct themselves. Uh, but he loveth him that followeth after righteousness. The way of the wicked is an abomination of the Lord. God rejects, again, he rejected his religious efforts in the last verse. So, so much the more he considers the sinful life of the wicked an abomination. If he don't want his religious efforts, he sure don't want his regular life. And there's there's literally nothing that a wicked man can do to impress or to please God. What can he offer God that God don't already have? What can he do for God that God can't do for himself? What in the world? There's nothing there. All the religion, all the, all the religion in the entire world is utterly useless. Religion, I said. It's useless. All the works that man can do, useless. The Bible says, but he loveth him that followeth after righteousness. The person who lives for righteousness or follows righteousness that's per, I mean, that, that's a person who's got their mind made up. That's a person who's, who's, who's decided, like the songwriter said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. No, though none go with me, still I will follow. The world behind me, the cross before me. person who feels like that, the person who's literally surrendered their life to God and says, Lord, I love you and I trust you. My life's in your hands and you're going to provide, you're going to be my, 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 my providence. You're going to be my, my protector, you're going to be everything to me. That person, they, they they do so in surrender and love to God. And they do what Jude advised us to do. They keep themselves in the love of God. Now, he loves people. He says, the Bible says he loves him who follows after righteousness. He hates the path of the wicked. He hates everything about what they're doing. Man, if you're pursuing righteousness, you've got God's love and favor on your life. I mean, praise God, that's what I want, amen? I want God's faith. I want God's blessing. I want God's love poured out in my life. I don't want to struggle and go through uh, hardships and, 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 and loneliness and depression because I, my life is spiraling out of control and I, and, I, and I can't find God with both hands. I don't want to feel like that. There's a lot of people that live like that daily because the sin is compounded in their life and they just won't get on their knees and confess it and forsake it and let God have their life. Verse 10, verse 10, correction, the Bible says, is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way. 
and he that hateth reproof shall die. Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way. Now, let's focus on that forsaketh the way, first of all. I think we're talking about an apostate person, somebody that used to follow the Lord, somebody that used to walk with God, but it's just turned and walked out of the will of God, walked out of serving God, walked out of living for God. There are people that do that. I mean, listen, it's a horrible thing, and it seems unconscionable that somebody would, but there are people who are like that. They, 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 something bad happens in their life, and, and rather than understand what Romans 8.28 teaches us, that all things work together for good to them that love God, and they realize that, you know what, every, everybody's life's going to have some rain in it. Everybody's life's going to have some storms in it. Everybody's going to face tragedy. Instead of looking around and seeing that, listen, everybody has this kind of things. They just get mad at God, and they get bitter. And, and, and they, they say, you know what, I ain't going to serve a God who'd do that. If God loved me, he wouldn't let this happen. If God loved me, he wouldn't let that happen. You wouldn't, you wouldn't believe how many people I've sat and listened to talk like this. Trying to blame everything on God. They're mad at God. They're bitter in their heart. And you know what? There ain't no love in them. They're mad. They're full of bitterness and ugliness. But when a man or woman departs from God's path, I mean somebody that used to walk with him, in mercy God will send them grievous discipline. God will whip them like a child who's gone out of the way. That, that word grievous there means harsh. It means harsh correction. Harsh correction is unto him that forsaketh the way. God's going to, listen, that's, you think about it. That's somebody who named the name of Christ. That's somebody who the world saw as a believer. And now this person is speaking ugly and harshly against God. God's going to have a snatch a knot in them, as my daddy would say. He's going to get their attention. Why? Because they're out running around making him look bad. They're running him down and talking bad about him. But the thing of it is, God will do that, but it will be a warning. God will do it in love. He'll give them an opportunity to change their ways and turn around and repent and get right with him. Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way. But the Bible says, and he that hateth reproof shall die. So the person, the person who who person who uh, rejects God's loving and merciful correction, the one God's trying to get through to him, and they just keep on getting hurt over and over and over. I mean, listen, I mean, I've seen people do that. God, God keeps whipping them, and they just keep falling down and keep falling down. They keep getting back up, and God has to whip them again because they won't listen. Listen, to that. they're sealing their own faith. When you keep fighting God, again, you know, the Bible says there's a sin unto death. There is a point where God says that's enough. That's enough. I, I feel as sure as I'm standing here that, that I was a step away from that, and I, I will to, to the remainder to the day I die. I will feel in my heart. I know I was just a step away from God saying, that's it. I'm taking it. I'm done. And maybe I maybe I misjudged God. Maybe, maybe he was a lot more patient than I give him credit for, but I can tell you the spirit of God was speaking to my heart and said, if you don't turn around, that's it. This is it. And I throwed my hands up and said, Lord, please, I don't want to run no more. Please, Lord, do something with my life. And, and that's all it took because that's all he wanted. He just wanted me. But correction, again, if you hate that reproof, and, and again, that's all God was doing. God was just, God was ringing my bell. Why? Because he loved me. He didn't want me running and doing all the things I was doing and, 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 and ruining what he, ruining the name that he had given me and, and, and the testimony that he would given me. And that's all I was doing was just smearing that into the dirt. And God gave me a chance after chance after chance. And thank God I heard him before it was too late. But the Bible said, who, he who hates reproof. He says, I don't want it. The Bible says, he'll die. He sets his own course. They're on the way. They're on the way of death, and they're gonna stay on that road if they hate correction. If they hate, if they hate God telling them, or they hate listening to a preacher tell them, "Listen, you need to get right with God. You need to repent." One preacher said, "He that is embittered by rebukes and not bettered by chastisements shall die." 
They that will not obey that sweet command, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, shall one day have no other voice to obey but that terrible word, go, ye cursed into everlasting flames. Another, another preacher said, the one who hates correction will die an eternal death without God, a tragic and inevitable end of apostates who have become hardened against the truth. I say, I, I, I say people like it, I don't think they could have ever known Christ because there ain't no way you lose your salvation. There's a lot of people who claim to have walked in it and have walked away. But again, I don't know. Again, either God smashes you home and, and gets you there with a red face or you never had it to begin with. <clears throat> but, you know, it, it, again, we're talking about people that can't stand to, uh, stand to be corrected. It's common for those who've known the way of righteousness. Like I said, they've known it. Maybe they grew up in it. Maybe they, maybe they grew up, maybe they, maybe they had, like, they had a daddy for a preacher. There's a lot, listen, there's some preacher kids, some of the worst kids in the world. I'm telling you, I know. I, I, <laughs> I've got some. And 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 I and I, my stepmother was one, and, and believe me, her and her siblings they test. You know, uh, my mama was one. <laughs> Amen. Huh? You too? Well, all right then. I know what's wrong with you. I know what's wrong with you. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is, it's it's not uncommon for those who've known the way of righteousness but have turned away from it to get extremely offended and angry to be trying to be corrected by somebody who is a Christian. They don't take kindly to being corrected, and they ain't going to tolerate it because they hate to be reformed, they hate to be reproved, and they hate those that deal faithfully and kindly with them and try to get them to turn around. Of all sinners, reproofs are most resented by an apostate. Don't you? I don't want you trying to tell me nothing. Who do you think you are? I've told this before, but I'm going to tell it again. Cause I got time, but we used to live in Paris on uh, 29th Street over on West Side, and two houses down from where I lived, there was an older couple. And uh, at the time, we we didn't have a real church building; we were just trying to get our church off the ground. And we were we had we were at least in a house across the street from where we lived, and we had the whole living room and dining room area turned into an auditorium. And so I kind of stood in. I stood at the fireplace in the in the corner, and I could look into this room, and I could look into that room at the same time. So it worked out like a V. But anyway, we had this bus, a school bus. It was a sh- like a short bus, I guess. But uh, East Paris Baptist Church, like Brother Mike Fortenberry, had given that to us. And uh, so we, we we'd go out and go soul winning on it every Thursday. And I had a bunch I had a bunch of young couples in our church, a bunch of young people, and they were all excited and. And we'd load up every Thursday evening. We'd go out and we'd take a neighborhood and knock doors. And, and anyway, we'd get on that bus and we'd head out. There'd be about 15, 20 of us. And, and we'd, we'd go down the street. And, and this couple, I won't call their name because they don't say they're probably They're probably dead and gone now. But, but they'd sit over on their porch. And as we'd pass by, everybody'd wave. You know, people out. We'd be friendly. We're church. We're trying to be friendly with people. We'd pass by. Well, done that, I don't know how many times, but. One particular day, as we're heading up the street, one of my men walked up there and he tapped me on the shoulder. He said, "Hey," he said, "I don't know if you noticed or not." He said, "When we passed the so-and-so's house back here, he said, he said, Miss So-and-so told you use number one." What? He said, "She she give you the one finger salute, preacher." I said, "Surely not." He said, "Man, I've seen it big as Dallas. I'm telling you." Okay. So when we got back that evening. I walked two doors down from my house and went and knocked on her door. And uh, she come out to the door. She said, can I help you? I said, yes, ma'am. I said, uh, Brother Brandon, I live two doors down. I said, she said, I know who you are. I said, well, I just wondered. We came by here earlier. I said, well, I said we waved at you. She's, and I said, uh, you shot the finger at me. I said, what's the problem? Some problem I need to know about it. She said, you drive by here all week long. You don't never wave at us. You got on that bus of your church members and you want to wave like you're somebody. She said, we went to church. We went to such and such church for so and so many years. She said, she said how dare you waving at us trying to talk, trying to act like we need to go to church. She said, we, went, we raised our kids in church. 
He got all that from that right there. What it was is God was convicting the fire out of them people, and they hated it. God was saying, you got bitterness in your heart, because they were. They were some of the most bitter people. You got bitterness in your heart. And every time you see a church, it just brings that bitterness to the surface. That's exactly what it was. Now, God bless him. I, 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 you know, he, he come to the screen door. He, you know, he's in his 70s, and I, I'm in my 40s, and he stood at the door. He said, you better get off my porch. And I said, or what? <laughs> I, I wouldn't try to pick a fight. I just like, what's this aggression? What am I doing here? I'm just all I all I did was try to wave at you. But anyway, again, that's how that's how it that's how that bitterness will just it just eats a person. I didn't say it to pick on them. I'm saying that to show you it'll just eat a person alive. And I ain't done a thing to them. But that was just that was just the fact that they had that kind of bitterness toward God. But you know, those who won't listen, those who will not be reproved, are going to be ruined. It's just as simple as that. A person that hates reproof and hardens his heart against it. Bible says he's joined to idols and leave him alone. That's what it said about about Ephraim and Hosea fourteen four seventeen said Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. In other words, he ain't coming back. He turned away from God. Person that turned away from God turned away from other things. He's going. They're going to die. They're going. The person that don't want God, they're not going to ever live. They won't have eternal life. If you don't want God, listen. If you throw God away, you say I don't need God. Hey, listen. Fine, God'll let you go. But you have to go. You have, you have to jump over His love. You'll have to jump over the cross of Calvary, the blood of Jesus, the sight of God, the Holy Spirit of God, the Word of God. You got to jump over a lot of things to go to hell. But a person who's stubborn and hard-headed will jump over every bit of it. <clears throat> Verse eleven. Hell and destruction are before the Lord. How much more than the hearts of the children of men? Look at verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. We talked about that last time. You know, God's omnipresent. God's every single place. And, And he has to be in order to judge all the evil and the good. But the Bible says hell and destruction are before the Lord. I want you to understand those that hell and destruction, those are two words, Sheol and Abaddon. And they mean two different things, and I'll explain that in a second. But these are two these are two different destinies, and they're kind of pictured as persons, hell and destruction, sort of kind of like characters, who are before the Lord to serve his purpose. Hell serves God's purpose. Uh, destruction or abaddon serves God's purpose. That's the bottomless pit, by the way. That serves God's destru- uh, purpose. And, and the sobering truth is that God has a plan and a purpose for both hell and destruction. That God has a plan and a purpose for hell. God has a plan and a purpose for destruction. Sheol and Abaddon represent the remote underworld and all the mighty powers that reside there. Let me give you some verses. Proverbs twenty-seven twenty: Hell and destruction are never full. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. Hell, or, hell and destruction are never full. I, I, a song I heard years ago by a fellow talking about the meth problem in America, a song called Hell Ain't Half Full. And that's true. Hey, listen, there's people pouring into it all day long. They throw their life away. They throw Jesus away, and they just they run headlong into hell. And there's plenty of room. Uh, like Tom Bodette, they'll leave the light on for you if that's where you want to go. Uh, actually, there ain't no light in hell. It's pitch black dark, even though there's flames. Isn't that something? People are going to burn in darkness, in excruciating pain and darkness forever. But again, they're never full. Job 26.6, hell is naked before him, and destruction hath no covering. God, people, I've heard Billy Graham say, hell is the absence of God, bull corn. Billy Graham, uh, Billy Graham has learned some things since he's died because he, he's made some very foolish outlandish over the course of his ministry. I know a lot of people love him and think he was the greatest thing since sliced bread, but I'm here to tell you that man had a lot to learn. He had a lot to learn. Or, or, either that or he went senile and forgot all the things he used to believe. But I, 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 his real problem was he hooked up with the, with the Mason's Lodge 
and, and William Randolph Hearst, and that ruined him is what happened, But and the Catholics and all that. But let's keep going. i got a little, little, place, little bit to go before we get done here. But, again, God, God, hell is not, hell is not hidden from God. God sees hell. God, God, I I know it sounds awful to say God is in hell, but God, God's not suffering in hell, but is God's presence, is God, does God see it? Yes, God knows everything going on in hell. God knows everything going on in the bottomless pit. Believe you, uh, believe the word of God when it tells you that God is everywhere. Does that mean God feels the pain of hell? No, God doesn't feel the pain of hell. God created hell for the devil and his angels. Psalm 139, verse 8, David said, If I ascend up in heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. There's nowhere that you can go to get away from God. But will people in hell experience the loving presence of God? No, they'll experience the wrath of God to experience that form of his presence. What a nightmare to experience the everlasting wrath of God. But the Bible says the wrath of God stays on him and stays on him and stays on him. Amen? He, he, that's what, what John 3.36 says. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Well, God's presence has to be there for his wrath to abide on him. Amos 9.2, though they dig into hell, then shall my hand take them. You can't hide in hell, God says. I can catch you there. Though they climb up into heaven, thence will I bring them down. Revelation 9, 11. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon. Again, that's what we're talking about, the bottomless pit. But in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. You see, God can see what we can't see. Again, this verse says, hell and destruction are, are before the Lord. Hell and destruction are, are presently invisible to all of us here. But they're before the Lord all the time. Think, I want you to think about it. If we could see hell and destruction right now, it, we'd think different. We'd live different. If we could literally see into hell right now, if we could literally see the things that people are having to endure right now that have gone to hell, if we can literally see what it's like for them to suffer there, it would change us forever. One preacher said this. He said, we silly fishes see, see one another jerked out of the pond of life by the hand of death, but we can't see the frying pan and the fire they're cast into that die in their sins and refuse to be redeemed. We say, oh, well, so-and-so died. So-and-so passed on. So-and-so went on to their reward." So-and-so's an angel now. They're singing with the... Daddy's singing. He's up there singing with the angels. No. First of all, angels don't sing, and, and Daddy don't become an angel. So uh, I hate to break that to everybody on Facebook because that'll probably shatter Facebook because everybody on Facebook, when somebody dies, they say, oh, he's an angel now. That's a lie out of the pit of hell. Don't believe that for one second. If you, if you die, if you die a saint of God, you are a saint of God in heaven. Amen? You don't get wings. You don't get a halo, that pagan too. No, you get robe of righteousness, amen? And you're clothed in the righteousness of God, and you get to stand in the presence of God Almighty forever and ever and ever and ever. And God will let you sit with him in his throne, amen? But you don't become an I wouldn't want to be an angel. Hallelujah. I hate to mess up the funeral industry, but, you know. But no, somebody else said God's surveillance. What God sees, his surveillance extends into the realm of the dead in the depths of the earth as remote from heaven as possible. And he will be met in every corner of the pitch black place shrouded in mystery and secrecy and of no apparent value to humanity or to God. What that meant at the end of there, but anyway. God knows all things, even those things which are hidden from the eyes of all living. Hell and destruction are before the Lord, not only in the center of the earth, and its subterraneous caverns with the grave and all the dead bodies which are buried out of their, out of our sight, they are all before the Lord, all under his eye. You imagine that? God see every dead body laid in every cemetery right now. And so that none of them can be lost or be, or, or be to seek when they are to be raised again. He knows where every man lies buried, even Moses, even those that are buried in the greatest obscurity, nor needs he any monument with 
Here he lies to find him. The place of the damned in particular and all their torments, which are inexpressible. The state of separate souls in general and all their, appear- all their circumstances are under God's eye. The word here used for destruction is Abaddon, which is one of the devil's names. That destroyer, though he deceives us, cannot evade or elude the divine cognizance. God examines him whence he comes, like he did in Job 1.7. He came here before the Lord, and God, God examines him. He has to stand before God. And God sees through all his disguises. Even though he's slick as he can be, God sees right through him. And God can see through it quickly. But the Bible says how much more the sons of men. If hell's before the Lord, how much before the, the hearts of the sons of men. Think about this. If God has a plan and a purpose for hell, for destruction, it's, it's a whole lot more true that he has a plan and a purpose and a desire for me and for you. Think about that. Literally, he has a purpose for hell. Don't you think he got a purpose for you? Right. Well, let me ask you a question. Are you currently praying and asking God to direct you into his will for your life? Are you? Are you? Have you been praying about that lately? God, show me what you want me to do. God, direct me into your will. God, I don't want to just be in a rut. God, I don't want to just coast into heaven. I want to be doing something when you come. On the, when the whistle blows, I want to be. I want to be looking up. I don't want to just be sitting in an easy chair waiting on the horn. Amen. We need to listen. We need to be thinking about that. God, God wants us to be busy. The Bible says, "Occupy." Jesus said, "Occupy till I come." In Luke. <clears throat> Again, we're talking about God's perfect knowledge. Let me give you an easy way to understand God's perfect knowledge of every deep and hidden thing. There's a lot of things that I don't know. There's a lot of things you don't know. But if all the things which are a mystery to us are perfect knowledge to God, then how well do you think he must know our heart? If all that knowledge exists out there that we don't know, and God knows it all, don't you think he knows you pretty well? He knows everything about you, everything in your heart. I tell you the other things God knows. I've heard all my life of cases where where where, where people were people were thinking things and the preacher said it right from the pulpit. I mean, come right out of the preacher's mouth. I've heard people at the door say to me, Who oh, are you just reading my mail? You got all over my toes this morning. How'd you know about that? That's the Holy Ghost of God, man. That wasn't me. God knows. God knows everything. But he particularly knows the hearts of the children of men. And the Bible tells us that God's greater than our hearts. And he knows them better than we know them. And therefore, he's an infallible judge of every single man, woman's character. Because he knows us. Hebrews 4.13 says, Neither is there any creature that's not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That'll either make you happy or that'll make you nervous. One or two. Verse 12. I'm going to try to hurry and get this done. we got a couple minutes. I'll just stop on 12. I won't even go to 13. A scorner loveth not one that reproveth him, neither will he go unto the wise. That's kind of taking us full circle back around where where we were earlier. But... Again, a scorner. Now, you got to think about what a scorner is. A scorner is somebody that not only makes a joke out of God and Christianity, but they get angry and defiant to those who try to reach out into the community for God. You try to witness. You try to stand on a corner and hold up a scripture sign. You try to pass out tracts. You try, you try to do anything uh, to reach out beyond the four walls of the church. If a scorner's around, he's going to let you know about it. Get that stuff out of here. What are you doing out here? Why don't you keep that stuff in the church house? Blah, blah, blah. They're just Run on and on and on and get angry with you. What are you doing out here? The scorner can't bear Holy Ghost conviction. They don't want none of it. They don't want nobody reminding him he's a sinner. You know, get that stuff out of here. Don't be telling me that. I don't want to hear that. Don't be waving that Bible in my face. They don't want the guilt of their own conscience eating out of me. You see, a scorner, a scorner's edgy because scorner, scorner down deep knows he's wrong, but he just don't, don't, don't do nothing about it. Again, you can't deal with this person rationally because they're not a rational person. You're not going to win with this person. The scorner loveth not 
one that reproveth him. He's got his wall up. It's 20 feet high and you ain't getting through. I mean, he's a rude, crude person. He hates to be corrected. Don't want to hear nothing. Scoffer, again, a scoffer doesn't love the person that corrects him because the fool and the scoffer hate correction. They're going to hate the one who brings it. Doesn't matter if you're doing it in love or not. You know, some examples in the Bible of that. Uh, Micaiah the prophet, Ahab didn't like what he had to say to him. So he put him in prison, fed him the bread of affliction. John the Baptist, I mentioned that Sunday. They didn't like him talking about you ain't, ain't lawful if you have your, wife, your, your brother Philip's wife. So he was in prison. They had his head cut off. Didn't like what he had to say. Don't correct me. And, of course, our, our Lord and Savior, he corrected the Pharisees quite often. And they put him on. They crucified him. So they, the one that gets corrected that's a scorner don't like they don't they don't like you. <laughs> and don't be don't be offended when when somebody's a scorner is rude and ugly to you because that's what they do. I mean, it's like I don't get offended when a dog barks because that's what a dog does. I don't get a, you know don't be surprised when that person who's bitter in their heart toward God starts being snarky and rude and arrogant towards you. Again, a scorner, a scorner not only hates the truth, but can't, can't take advice or, or correction from friends either. They don't even want to hear it from the friends. They're not going to go to no wise person because they go to wise people, they're going to hear wise counsel, which is going to go against their own. So we ought to take and learn from this. Again, the scorner won't listen to a wise person no matter what. But we ought not only welcome a, the wisdom of somebody to, to talk to us, but we ought to go to them and seek it out. And just like a just like a, a a poor man go to a beggar, I mean a, a poor man go to a rich man and say, please help me, uh, I'm begging, please help me. Listen, we ought to, if we don't know what to do, we ought to go to somebody that's got some wisdom and say, please give me some wisdom. I need some help. We ought not just try to stumble and fumble through life. I'm saying, listen, we ought to humble ourselves and ask for help when we need it. Ask for advice. Uh, the best advice I can give you as a Christian is get get close to God, but the second best advice I can give you is get close to somebody who's closer to God than you. Because that'll help you tremendously. They'll challenge you to grow. Um, again, let me let me just wrap this up. The scorner's not going to go to the wise because they'll give him wise counsel. And uh, since he rejects correction, he rejects wisdom, and he's going to remain trapped in his foolishness. You know, there ain't one way out of that, and that's the Lord. As long as as long as the fool sees the Lord as an affront to him, uh, you know he's never going to he's never going to accept what God has. You know, and I, and I say this too, and I, I, I don't I don't want to discourage anybody from witnessing by any means. But I, I, I do say this. If somebody is an absolute jerk to you when you try to witness to them, walk away. Walk away. I, I, I'm, I'm going to close with this. I, I, when, I first went to, when I first went to Bible college, the first, the first soul winning night, which was Thursday night, we always gathered there at the church and went out on buses and things. Of course, that's a big, huge ministry, and it's a big machine. They're trying to keep a Bible college going at the time. they got preacher boys all over the place, and, and you know, I'm I'm there my first time, and I, I don't know who in the world I'm gonna go with. Well, the preacher, he says, "Hey, you going with me tonight?" So I'm going with the big pastor of the big church, or the or the big Bible college, or whoopee. So anyway, we went out with him, and and uh, I was picking his brain the whole time we're in the we're in the truck, and uh, I asked him, I said, "What do you do?" Because I said, I, "I know you you're gonna run run across people that don't that don't believe like we do." I said. Let's give you an example of Church of Christ. Of course, you know, they believe in baptismal regeneration. They believe that, you know, your sins are washed away when you go under the water in the baptistry. They they believe Jesus died for your sins, too, but they believe that, you know, the water plays as big a part as the blood of Jesus, which nullifies the blood of Jesus if you believe that way. You can't have it both ways. It's either Jesus Jesus or Jesus plus something. If it's Jesus plus something, it don't count. If it's Jesus minus something, it don't count. 
no matter, you, you take you do anything you monkey with the blood at all, you've messed up salvation. But I say that to get around to the point, and I'm gonna close. So we were we were getting ready to leave. We just witnessed somebody and saw somebody got saved, and we're leaving out. And I said, "What do you do if you run across somebody like that? You knock on the door of somebody's Church of Christ." I said, "I said, what, what do you do?" He said, "I go next door." Well, that's a short answer. I thought she was gonna give me some profound answer. How you gonna talk to them about this or share with this with them? He said, "No, I ain't got time to stand there and argue with somebody who wants to argue." He said, "If they want to argue, I go next door." I ain't got time. I, I, I'm looking for somebody who wants to get. I'm looking for somebody who's ready to get saved. I'm looking for somebody who's hungry to be saved. We're not looking to. When I when I tell you to witness, please, I want you. I want to say this to close on. I'm not asking you to go out and and be Bible debaters. I'm asking you to be conscious of people who may be looking for salvation, and and the and the way you find those people are people who usually are are, are going through something. They're they're at a low point in their life. And because when you're on top of the world, you don't feel like I need Jesus if you're lost. you got everything going right. But, boy, when you hit the bottom, it's a good time to talk about the Lord. They realize that their, their supports are knocked out from under them. I need something stable in my life. I need I need salvation. That's a time when they can hear it. That's why funerals are such a good time to present the gospel. But, listen, we, we're not here to argue with them. You can't argue a soul into the kingdom of God. I've never argued with nobody, and at the end they got saved, ever. So if they want to argue, you just smile, say, God bless you. You have a great day. And you know what you're doing? You're leaving the door open for the next person. You don't slam the door shut and bolt it bolt it, and nail it, nail it with a board and say, at the end, we're done. No, you leave that door open. So let's, let's be mindful, be conscious of people around us and their needs. And let's be need meters. Okay? That's what God wants us to be is need meters. Let's stand together. Hope you have a great day, great.